0: Good morning, and welcome to Simply Economics. It's Thursday, February 29th. On today's show, economic growth is revised down slightly, and the USPCE makes today's economic calendar finally interesting. Plus, we'll be discussing ASEAN's balancing act of navigating economic nationalism and development. This coverage and more, up next. Next. I'm David, and you're listening to Simply Economics. We start off with the latest economic data, which shows a slight downward revision in economic growth, even as stocks fall and imports rise. Retail inventories are also up from last year. Here to delve into these numbers is our correspondent from Simply Economics. So Celeste, what's behind this slight downward revision in economic growth?
1: Well, David, the downward revision in economic growth is a reflection of several factors. It's important to note that while the revision is slight, it indicates a slower pace of economic expansion. This could be due to a variety of reasons, including changes in consumer spending, business investment, government spending, and net exports.
0: And what about the fall in stocks? What's driving that?
1: The fall in stocks could be attributed to a number of factors, including market volatility, investor sentiment, and economic indicators. It's also possible that concerns about the revised economic growth figures are playing a role.
0: We're also seeing a rise in imports. What's causing this?
1: The rise in imports could be due to several factors. It could be a sign of increased consumer demand, which often leads to increased imports. Alternatively, it could be a result of changes in exchange rates, making foreign goods more affordable.
0: And finally, retail inventories are up from last year. What does this tell us?
1: An increase in retail inventories could indicate that retailers are expecting increased consumer demand in the future. However, if this demand doesn't materialize, it could lead to an excess of unsold goods. It's a delicate balance that retailers have to manage.
0: Thanks to Simply Economics reporter Celeste for breaking down those economic indicators. Now let's shift our focus to yesterday's market activity, which was relatively subdued, with not much to inspire investors. Speeches from Feds Williams, Collins, and Bostick reiterated the known mantra of data dependency and caution against premature cuts. This resulted in muted trading. Core bonds gained, with US treasuries outperforming, particularly into the final hours of US trading. Here to delve deeper into this is our correspondent
2: James. Can you shed more light on the market's performance yesterday? Certainly, David. Net daily changes varied between minus 2.2 y and matter 5.6 bps 2 y German yields eased less than 2 BP's. Equities mandered around the highs, with Wall Street recording some minor losses. Investors favoured the largest currencies over the likes of NOK, SEC and especially AUD and NZD. The trade-weighted dollar eked out a small gain to just south of 104. Sterling and the Japanese yen completed the top four of the scoreboard. Interesting. And what's happening with the Japanese yen this morning? The yen is jumping straight to the first place this morning. Bank of Japan Governor Takata gave a strong signal towards the end of the central bank's ultra-easy monetary policy. He said the 2% price target is finally coming into sight, and put Japan at a juncture for a shift in the entrenched belief that wages and inflation won't rise. His speech comes at a time when dwindling growth momentum and decelerating inflation is closing the BoJ's window of opportunity. USDJPY tanks about a full yen to below 150. Japanese yields rise between 0.9 and 2.6 BPS, with the 2Y setting a new 13-year high. What can we expect from today's economic calendar? Today's economic calendar finally gets a bit interesting. The US publishes PCE deflators for January. These lag the regular CPIs, but being the Fed's preferred inflation gauge, they are worth following. Other US data include weekly jobless claims and personal income and spending. The European Eco Calendar focuses at national inflation readings from France and Germany over Spain to Portugal. Risks, if any, are slightly tilted to the downside. Markets have come a long way in finally adjusting to central bank talk. For this reason, both US PCE and European CPI would have to deviate strongly in one way or another to unlock the rates and by extension, the FX stalemate.
0: What are your thoughts on the unexpected
2: surge in January CPI inflation and more specifically rental inflation? The US Bureau of Labor Statistics commented on this, indicating that the weights for single-family detached homes increased materially from December 2023 to January 2024. The relative weighting compared to multifamily units changed both contribute to the owner equivalent rent component, which is by far the largest individual component of the CPI basket. Giving more importance to the single-family detached homes suggests that OER can remain sticky at high levels for longer given restraint supply in this specific part of the housing market. And what about the ECB's future liquidity management for the banking sector? The framework needs changing following the end of the negative zero interest rate policy and as the ECB started draining excess liquidity by winding down its APEP-PEP bond portfolios. Sources suggest that the central could as soon as March 13th announce a demand-driven floor system, similar to the Bank of England's approach. The ECB will thus still effectively set the lowest rate at which banks can lend to each other. Under the system, the ECB would also lower the main refinancing rate closer to the deposit rate reducing the penalty and stigma for financial institutions short in cash. In the future, the ECB will no longer single-handedly decide how much liquidity it provides to the banking system via its regular refinancing operations, but consult commercial banks on determining the amount. We appreciate the insights, James. Now, shifting our
0: focus to international trade, the ASEAN region is showing some interesting trends. In 2023, we saw reduced intra-regional transactions, increased reliance on external partners like China, and continued complexity of trade agreements. There are also emerging patterns of protectionism and resource nationalism. As we move into 2024, ASEAN countries are expected to continue balancing protectionist measures with further liberalization. Here to discuss
3: this further is our correspondent, Bella. Can you tell us more about these trends? Certainly, David. ASEAN, as we know, is a significant emerging market and is poised to become a global center of growth. However, in 2023, despite efforts to promote intra-regional trade, most of ASEAN's trade remained with extra-regional countries. The percentage of intra-ASEAN trade in relation to member states Total trade experienced a decline from 22.5 percent in the first three quarters of 2022 to 21.8 percent in the corresponding period in 2023. That's interesting. And what about the relationship with China? How is that shaping up? Trade between China and ASEAN is set to grow significantly. China is emerging as a crucial trading partner for many ASEAN member states. This trend is driven by geopolitical tensions and Southeast Asia's role as a trade transit corridor. ASEAN is the third largest economy in Asia and the fifth largest in the world, making it crucial for China to address issues related to weak domestic demand and overcapacity in production.
0: What can we expect for the future of ASEAN trade?
3: As ASEAN continues to navigate global trade dynamics, the region's increasing reliance on China proliferation of free trade agreements, and concerns over economic nationalism are expected to shape trade trends in 2024 and beyond. It's a delicate balance between economic nationalism and development, and it will be interesting to see how it plays out. Indeed, it will be
0: interesting to see how the economic landscape evolves. Thanks for your insights, Bella. Speaking of economic developments, NVIDIA, the tech giant, has recently joined the exclusive $2 trillion club alongside Microsoft and Apple. This comes after NVIDIA reported a blowout quarter, with its revenue tripling over the past year to about $22 billion. The company's earnings per share also shot up by 765%. Here with us to delve deeper into this, this is Michael, a correspondent for Simply Economics. Michael, what's driving this surge in NVIDIA's value?
4: The key factor here is the ongoing demand for chips, which continues to outstrip supply. Semiconductor chips are crucial to the AI revolution, and as NVIDIA CEO Jensen Huang stated, demand is surging across companies, industries, and nations. This situation is a dream scenario for chip designers and suppliers like NVIDIA.
0: You mentioned the AI revolution. How does this tie into the government's role?
4: The government has played a significant role in catalyzing demand for chips. Despite the dysfunction in Washington, there's been a concerted effort to advance AI technology. For instance, a bipartisan AI committee was created by the White House's AI initiative last fall. They've been discussing U.S. infrastructure needs from upgrading power grids to AI-based cybersecurity. AI technology is essential for energy efficiency, cyber fraud prevention, and national security. And how
0: does this relate to the CHIPS and Science Act that became law last year?
4: The CHIPS Act is a key piece of legislation that allocated $52 billion to the domestic chip industry. Its core priority was to set up the America Fund, which would stimulate domestic semiconductor production. The US is known for its ability to design chips but not manufacture them. This act aims to change that, starting with AI hardware production. Can you explain more about the types of chips that
0: AI applications rely on?
4: AI applications rely on two types of chips, The first type is Graphics Processing Units, or GPUs, which excel in parallel processing. They can handle complex math computations and process large datasets simultaneously. NVIDIA focuses on designing these GPUs, which enable AI processes to run quickly. The second type of chips are Central Processing Units, or CPUs. CPUs focus on quick sequential processing, handling tasks or instructions in a specific order. Both GPUs and CPUs are essential for the optimal performance of AI applications. So what's the significance of the CHIPS Act in this context? The CHIPS Act is significant because it would facilitate more development for both types of chips in the US. The US wants to claw back some of this production as a matter of national security. In fact, last week, the White House authorized $1.5 billion for US chip manufacturing firm Global Foundries to expand its domestic production capabilities.
0: What does this mean for the future of the semiconductor industry and AI?
4: The global semiconductor market is projected to grow to $1.4 trillion by 2029 to keep up with the AI revolution. AI and semiconductors are integrated through neural networks and edge computing, which are essential for many technologies, from smartphones to autonomous vehicles. The AI revolution is only in its first inning. And there's still a lot of potential for companies like NVIDIA and others in the AI space.
0: That was Simply Economics reporter Michael. Thanks for the insights. And with that, we wrap up our stories for today. Thanks for listening to Simply Economics. We'll see you back here tomorrow.